Welcome to Getting to Nimble. I'm Bill Smoots, a pastor. And I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we explore how to survive and thrive in the 21st century church. Bill and I have ministered in churches for over 50 years between the two of us. I've been a church musician all over the denominational spectrum, mainline, evangelical, Catholic. I've, I've worked in them all. And I have been, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian pastor, so most of my working life as a religious professional has been in Presbyterian congregations, though in recent years I've been uh, serving as an intentional interim transitional pastor in United Church of Christ congregations. And, and they still keep giving us keys to churches, so we must be doing something good. <laughs> If you notice a, a little bit difference in our audio today, Bill and I are both recovering from basically the plague and <laughs> we're recording in different locations. So the sound is a little bit different. Normally we're like hunched around one, one microphone ma- making this happen. But, but today we're, I'm in, I'm surrounded by the detritus of a, of a small child doing, uh, creating Valentine's um, in my house because <laughs> nice. we are not sharing the germs. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah, and and I'm I'm in my new office at a new oh, congregation. That's right. Yeah. yeah. The last time we recorded, I was still uh, at at a previous congregation, and now I'm about ten days into a new interim assignment and drinking out of a fire hose right now. Yeah, you want to talk about nimble? This is <laughs> this is the time. That's right. I'm going. Gosh, we're going to record a podcast. What was I thinking? <laughs> Today we are talking about worship, and and that's a huge topic, so we want to focus it down a little bit. And specifically, we're going to try and talk about the timing of worship. When does a congregation worship on a Sunday or any other time during the week? We're talking about the day of the week and the time of the day. Yes. It's not as, I don't think it's as simple as it once was of, you know, we, we always worship at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. The story I was told in seminary, and I'm going to assume it's true, uh, is that, that Sunday morning worship at 11 o'clock became the thing in New England, kind of setting the pace for the country, because that's the time of the morning when farmers could be done with morning chores and cleaned up and get to church. That is, I mean, that's wild. Why, why do we worship at all? And maybe it's good to start there as a reminder uh, to us, because my sense is that we we worship not for our own edification, but we worship to bring glory to God, to say thank you to God. And and traditionally that has been on uh, the Sabbath, because we remember in the creation story, God rested on the seventh day. So we rest and we say thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, has been our traditional understanding of worship. And I don't necessarily think that foundation for worship is is no longer valid. I, I think it's very true. I think the question for me becomes, is the seventh day the only day upon worship upon which worship can handle be had be had? And is there a particular time on any given day when worship must happen? And I think a big thing here, if we're looking looking historically, we have that seventh day worship, and then in the Christian sphere, we have this transposition of worship to Sunday. I'm thinking about like Acts and how, in remembrance of Christ's resurrection, that's yeah, when Christians to began to worship. Mm-hmm. So you still have this idea of, of Sabbath and rest, and I'm I'm thinking of the good old Victorians and and before no working on Sunday, that kind of thing. 
but this idea of because the early church worshiped on a Sunday morning, specifically Sunday and morning, that is the time that we ought to be worshiping. And and I I think also we have to talk about worshiping in the sense of hopefully we are not only worshiping on a Sunday morning. There's this corporate public worship, and then there is hopefully the worship that pervades our entire lives, right? And I think that's a good hope. I I don't particularly think that's well understood by most individual church members or uh, disciples of Jesus. It's, it's certainly something that I think has fallen by the wayside a great deal in more recent years, at least in the traditions I'm familiar with. More, more mainline, old-line Protestant traditions, I don't think see those connections as much as perhaps other parts of Christendom. This is, this is where I reveal my uh, deep evangelical background. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking of the sermons that I grew up with where it was just like, you know, you think Sunday morning is enough, you know, you have to, you know, all, all the things in your life have to point towards Sunday, but the Sunday is like kind of like the, the cherry on the top of the Sunday, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, it is, it is uh, in a way the, the culmination of all the rest. And much as I'm not in that, uh, that religious world at this point, I do think that there is something to be said and maybe something to work towards in our in our teaching around corporate worship to the entire congregation to think about what does it look like to worship outside of that corporate space. And I think of that like as a musician where I don't think anyone is really buying into this, but I think of, you know, the times that I've tried to encourage people to sing in the car, to, to listen to worship music, to listen to, I'm sure some people are thinking about it this way, but a lot, a lot of people, you know, this isn't on their radar, but you know, there are many things that we do that are themselves worship that are outside of that, that corporate worship setting. Correct. And, and, and good discipleship would say that we should worship in those ways and at those times, um, you know, all the time. Um, but I just, I just, sadly, I don't think that's a practice of discipleship that is much in use these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. For, yeah. Or at least, at least for those I know. I, I think I want to go at the, uh, thinking about how, how we've, we're, we're trying to market this this podcast as, as uh, getting to nimble. I think worship timing and nimbleness are very much interrelated, and and that if a church wants to be nimble here in the 21st century, it really needs to to look at a lot of its old assumptions. Mm-hmm. And for most yeah. congregations, the timing of worship is an old assumption. You know, it may have moved between nine o'clock and ten thirty. Uh, on a Sunday morning over the years, but it's always been on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or it may have um, had one format and then began a new format at some point, but the timing hasn't changed. Yeah. And, and I think it's really important for congregations to, to back up and look at the lives of the people they're trying to serve and look at the, the lives of the culture around them they're trying to interact with and say, um, okay, we, we think worship still makes sense. It's still important for us uh, to, to worship God, but then when does it make sense to do that um, and, and, and divorce that from previous experience or even current experience and say, you know, when does it make sense given that these are the parameters? You know, the, the church I'm serving right now has a, a fairly large portion of the congregation that's older. And uh, apparently they've been saying nine o'clock on Sunday morning is too early 
for many of the older members. Mm -hmm. But but that hasn't changed. Mm. Uh, it hasn't hasn't caused anything to change. Or I think it's easy to look around and the pace of lives that people are leading and say Sunday morning may be the only morning of a week when people don't have to be out the door at the crack of dawn or or getting kids ready at the same time they're trying to get ready to go to work. What if we gave people that time? What if we said maybe part of Sabbath is a morning each week when you don't have to be somewhere too quickly. And in saying that, invited us to look at, so when might we worship? I think that's interesting if I'm thinking about churches that are starting from scratch in the sense like, a, you know, a mission plant or a, you know, a, a, new, a new church. Um, they're often not worshiping on a Sunday morning. I, some are for sure, but many worship on Sunday nights. Yes, yes. Or late Sunday afternoon. And there, there's a, a movement within Presbyterianism these days, PCUSA, um, new worshiping communities. Mm, yeah. and, and those communities are just all over the map of a week as to when they worship. Um, and, and often it has to do with who are they trying to serve and when are those people available. Mm -hmm. I'm and, thinking of uh, my husband in college. He would go to the, what they called the last chance mass, which was at 9 p.m. on a Sunday. And it was, you know, all these good little Catholic ki kids got to get in their weekend mass. And, <laughs> and it was, you know, on Sunday night after, you know, they had studied all day. Got to keep mom and Jesus happy. Yep. <laughs> Well, I, I've got a friend who, who leads one of these new worshiping communities, and they meet one Monday night a month. Oh, interesting. Um, at 8 p.m. I, I, I thought, one Monday night? But that's what the, the people who have gathered in this community are able to give. Um, that's, that what, that's what fits in their life. And, and I think I'm more interested in saying, oh, what works for this particular group of people to worship rather than here's our worship. If it doesn't work for you, hope you can find something else. Mm. Uh, that, that just seems, and I think that's where a lot of churches are with a Sunday morning schedule that worship only happens at this time. I feel like there are two kinds of tension here. One is, say you have a service, you know, you've got your three services. And if you decide, you know, our church actually can't sustain three services and you move to two, you're going to lose a lot of people that went to say that 5 p.m. service because, that's the time that they were going to give. And so it's gone. And, and people realize that when they're decide, thinking about changing services. So there's, there's that tension. But I'm also thinking about, you know, what happens if you, maybe you're not a church starting from scratch, you're not a mission church, you're not a church plant. But what would happen if you just stepped back and thought, well, what actually is going to serve the people? And I think here, if we're going back to that, why, you know, we can worship God in spirit and truth at any time and at any place. God, worship is for God in many ways, but God doesn't need it to be at a certain time at a certain place. That's right. That's right. And, and I think we, we, we put these times into concrete as a way of saying, okay, we really don't have to change. Uh, we can just keep things the way they are and feel justified in doing that. Uh, when, when that's not, it's not particularly faithful, but it, it's also not useful to, a particular congregation. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 it seems to limit access to worship rather than open it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That concern about early services and older people, like that's a genuine, genuine thing. That's, you know, that's, it's not just a couple of cranky people saying so like that. 
you know? And, and it's tricky because at the same time, if you move it, you know, not to speak specifically about the congregation where you are, but just, you know, just speaking more generally, if you move the time, you are going to lose some people who are just like, well, you know, my kid has a violin lesson at this time. So we'll just have to find a different church right. service. Changes change. Yep. Um, and, and you'll never make everybody happy. And, and I don't mean to be suggesting we try and do that, but, but I think that, that not asking questions, just, just saying, this is what we got. This is when we do things. This is how we are. Um, refusing to look at where you are as a congregation, who you serve as a congregation, and, and are there other possibilities? And, and are there other possibilities for practical reasons? Um, or, or is it a theological reason? We feel the Holy Spirit is calling us in this direction. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't mean just, oh, everybody plays soccer at 11 o'clock on Sundays now, so we need to be done sooner. It's not that, that simple. Um, but but it, it may be, gosh, we, we serve exhausted people. How do we best give them a Sabbath with a worship experience? You know, I think, I think then there's all sorts of avenues that can be explored, some which could be good and useful, some which might not be so good and useful. I'd love to say, oh, what can we do electronically? We can, we can live stream the service and the three people in the sanctuary, you know, it'll be out there for everyone else. Well, then you're not building community. Yeah. Um, and and, and so there's, there's all these trade-offs that, that have to be made. Years ago, my very first church, and, and this was back in the technological dark ages when, when cable was just becoming a thing in communities, Ooh. and it was a hardwired thing. And, and so the, the cable transmitter in Athens, Ohio, was located in the City Hall building. And City Hall building was across an alley from First Presbyterian Church. And they were desperately looking for content. And they said, hey, could we run a wire across the alley on Sunday mornings and give you a camera and and we'll film your services and send them out uh, across the cable system as long as you have somebody to run the camera? And we said, sure, why not? And I would be in a drugstore at seven o'clock at night filling a script and, and the pharmacist would say, hey, you look familiar. Where have I seen you? And then they go, <laughs> oh, you know, I couldn't sleep last night and they were running your worship service at 2 a.m. And, <laughs> nice. and, and some comment about the sermon. And, and that, that's, that may be a silly example, but for that person, that was when they could worship and, and, and the technology made some experience possible. Um, mm-hmm. so, so maybe it, I, there's just lots of pieces that we have to keep in tension as we try and be nimble about how we do worship. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this is not any cut and dried, here's when things ought to be, but is about serving the people that are there. And this brings up another tension because on one hand, you're serving the people that are already in your congregation or, you know, and uh, maybe help helping them, leading them towards the worship of God, maybe is a a better way of putting it in this context. But I think at the same time, it's also really tricky, a kind of tension because of how limiting this can be. If you're only thinking about people that are there because, and I'm I'm thinking of churches where, you know, I'm, I'm speaking as a musician where the church will have, you know, three different musical styles and then they need to cut a service. And it's not just about, you know, cutting the 5 p.m. service. It's about cutting, well, you cut my Celtic service. Um, and it's, and what I'm trying to get at is that it's about something, it's about identity. 
um, not just this was a convenient time, but something about me, myself, the worshiper, something about something that's true to me, something that um, is self-revealing. And when we're thinking about these um, new worshiping communities, I'm thinking about the ones in the PCUSA, these, uh, these small worshiping communities, they, to me, they seem so identity-based in, in that really niche kind of way. The identity is not people who are following Jesus, but this much, much smaller, um, more granular kind of identity. Um, that can also be really tricky for a congregation to manage because, uh, be, because the whole congregation isn't reflected in that in that new space. Agree, agree. And, and I think that is one of the challenges of trying to niche services is that um, it's important in that you can get a group that's maybe underserved or, or, or hasn't been addressed and, and that may be important. But as soon as you do that, you're excluding others. And, and, mm-hmm. and we want to say worship is for all, um, but then uh, one of the realities I think we're dealing with is that not everybody who wants to worship can actually get to worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. and, and there are those out there who aren't sure they want to trust a worshiping body enough to show up, but might engage electronically. Um, in some way, shape, or form, and and so so how you know can we work those into the equation as well? It, it, there's just it's not as simple as straightforward as we have one service once a week at this time because because God declared it, Amen. World without end. Eleven a.m. for all the farmers. That's right. That's right. You know we're no longer farmers, are we? We're no longer predominantly agrarian country, and, and yet. It's those things that drive us. And I guess maybe that's the deeper question I want to push is what are we no longer as a particular congregation? Not, not as in church as a whole, but, but if each congregation looked at what are we no longer, um, does that begin to raise questions about uh, worship or, or to ask it in a positive, what are we now that's mm-hmm. different from yeah, what yeah. we were then? And, and do, does that kind of questioning begin to lead us in different directions in many areas, but particularly in worship? Who are we now and where is the Holy Spirit leading us? Yes. Preach that. Preach that, Sister Sarah. Uh, it's exa- that's exactly the right, the right questions that I think we need to be asking. Uh, and like I said, I, there's, there's, I, I wish I had some solid conclusions about this, or I wish I um, you know, had, had just written a book on this and could speak definitively, but it's just my experience that um, congregations are often living in two different worlds um, when it comes to worship. There's, there's the, the pattern they've been practicing in some various form for a long, long time versus where they probably need to be to serve the people they're trying to serve. And I, I think that to, to have definitive answers would be a really kind of false kind of thing. We are in the midst of seismic change in the church and, and we don't know where we're going to land. We don't know where things are going to be in 20 years. We know we're in the midst of change. We know that this wave is rolling and, and we just, we don't know where we're going to end up. That's right. I'd be curious if, if there are listeners out there um, that, that might have ideas for us uh, as to, you know, what have they tried in their 
churches or what has been the, the, the practical reasoning or the theological reasoning behind changes that they have made. And, and as they're thinking about nimble in their particular context, what might that look like around worship for them? Our email is actually our old podcast name called podcast at gmail.com. Maybe we'll get around to change your email, but you can reach us there. Do you think we should be nimble enough to get a new email? <laughs> well, I need to get over the flu. Okay, that's fair. That's, no, I'm just, I'm being, I'm being snarky. Uh, but, but that may be a great example of it's hard to pay attention to all these things. It's hard to, it, it's hard to stay as current as you need to be, given that we're creatures of habit, given that there's not necessarily energy in a given week or, or a given year, if you want to take a bigger frame of time, time frame to, to, to rethink all these basic pieces of, of about our life together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet yeah. maybe, maybe there needs to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is a one thing I love about summer is because it gives you a little bit of a respite from the go, go, go nature of church work. And it gives you a little bit of time to think big picture. At least hopefully you, you find some time in there to think. Think big picture. Big picture. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I've used this illustration before on on our, our podcast, but um, there was a day and age in the late 1800s where the average church burned every 30 to 40 years oh, yeah. because there was not professional fire care, you know, fire protection, and 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 so then congregations were faced with. Do we stay in this location and do we, if we, uh, and if we move or stay, what kind of sanctuary do we rebuild? And they were often then rebuilding the the sanctuary for the new day and age. What was the latest and greatest? Mm. And, and and I think, I don't want to lay this all on the, the advent of good fire protection, but I think without that kind of, need for great intentionality around, you know, who are we, when do we meet, how do we worship, what, what space do we worship in, that, that it's become easy for churches just to kind of become frozen. Um, and so if you've got this lovely historic sanctuary that, that nobody wants to, to see harmed, and, and I love historic architecture, hear me mm-hmm. say that, I'm not a hater of that, um, but then that begins to limit how you worship or even when you worship. Yeah. What do we do with that? It does. Yeah. Oh. It's a really, can we say it again? It's a tension. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think this is, is clearly a place where we have more questions uh, than, and, and very little answers. Um, but, but we're starting that conversation, which I think is the really important piece here. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that, that we talked about in, uh, in our run up to, to, starting to record was, you know, do we talk about other aspects of worship? Do we, do we talk about uh, style of worship and things like that? And, and Sarah wisely said, no, that's too much. We, we have to hold that off for other conversations down the road. We could talk um, about that all week. Yeah. You want a week-long <laughs> seminar? You want a year-long seminar? You want to go to seminary? <laughs> and, and, and that won't help. Trust me. Uh, oh. so, so just, I, I think just the focus on timing is really a really important question for congregations to consider. And, and, and it isn't just a, oh, we'll consider this once and we'll make some tweaks and go on. It's probably one of those all the time 
evolutions that needs to be going on in this day and age. If we're truly going to be nimble, if we're truly going to pay attention and try and connect with the culture around us, then I think we, we can't go in with, with assumptions that certain things never change. That there are, there are, you know, the, the absolute may be the love of God, uh, but, and, and our need to worship God, but, but beyond that, there's no absolute time, there's no absolute space, uh, there's no absolute style, all those pieces. Mm-hmm. Yep, worshiping God in spirit and in truth is not time-specific, is not place-specific. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there something about where two or more are gathered? I mean, I always heard where two or more are gathered, there's always a fifth. But. <laughs> no, no, that's where there's four Presbyterians, there's a fifth. Uh, <laughs> I, did, I did think of a, a scriptural um, illustration that might be useful here. Um, and it was, um, there, there was the, the time when Jesus went out into the country with the disciples to, to kind of get away from all the crowds, and they followed him out, and he was really tired, and yet he sat down and began to teach them. Maybe that's the... Um, Maybe, maybe that's the model. Um, the, the people were so hungry for uh, something from Jesus that uh, they, they pushed him out. Uh, they, they showed up at a time when he wasn't ready for them, and he still dealt with them. And, and maybe we need to say, huh, I like Sunday morning schedule because it, it's, it's you know, a good time in the week for me, and it doesn't change from week to week. But when do people really need to hear some good news? And, and that's when we need to say, then this is the time we worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a thought. So now it's time for our read of the week. We have just one this week. And I want to share a book that I have enjoyed called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. It's by Nir Eyal. His first name is N-I-R, Nir, and his last name is Eyal, E-Y-A-L. And this is such an interesting book because it really flips that whole, the smartphone did it to me uh, narrative about distraction. You know, it's really easy to be like, well, I was never distracted until, you know, the smartphone came along, until the internet came along, until Reddit came along. It's, it's all Facebook's fault. Um, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the, you know, the stories of the monks from back in the day were getting distracted by the sun, you know, <laughs> like, we're people. We can get distracted any way we want. I was distracted long before the internet existed, Sarah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's but that's a really popular narrative that um, somehow technology has uh, has done something to us. Like it's, there's this external thing to us. Um, and the basic premise of his book is that distraction is an internal thing, which I fully agree with, and that distraction is um, largely based in us avoiding pain which would be not necessarily physical pain, but like the discomfort of being bored, of being tired, of being, uh, you know, frustrated with whatever we're working on and seeking out um, something that relieves that pain, uh, feeling mm-hmm. lonely, those, those kinds of things. And so he is, he's starting at the root cause of our distractibility and working from there rather than saying, oh, you need a fast from your smartphone that will fix everything for you. Um, or you should become a total hermit and, magically you won't ever be distracted. So it's a really interesting book and well-written and I think useful for all of us um, as we try to figure out like how, you know, how do we live in the 21st century and how do, how, how do we be available to people while also not um, 
not making ourselves so available that we can't get any uh, long-term meaningful work done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so are there any easy steps for me? So I'm not distracted. Well, I think it's not easy, but thinking about the why, like, why are you distracted? What, what pain are you avoiding in that distraction? And it's interesting for me, I'm thinking of all those times working on my, my doctoral dissertation where I would literally sit there and say out loud, what am I afraid of? Because I would feel myself being distracted um, and unable to focus on the page. And I would literally talk myself through what am I afraid of in, in what I'm writing. And that was, you know, I hadn't read this book at the time, but it was a very similar strategy of figuring out why am I being distracted? And of course, you know, I'm working on this by myself. I could just like talk through that audibly. Um, but I think that same practice works a lot of times. Like why I, I, I do a lot of um, kind of big picture creative work that really requires a lot of focus. You know, it's not too hard to focus if you're having a coffee date with somebody, but it's really hard to focus when you're writing a book or, you know, in my case, you know, practicing the organ or whatever it is. It's like long stretches of time by yourself. And having that as a, I guess my go-to, well, what is causing this distraction? What is the root cause here? Rather than, um, you know, blaming it on something external to myself, that can be really helpful. That makes sense. That makes sense. I remember when I was writing my demon dissertation, the closer it got to the end, the, the more distracted I was, the easier it was to, oh, let's play solitaire for a while. Yeah. And, and I think it was a fear that I was going to finish. And, and that in that finishing, I had to, to put it out there and say, this is what I think. And, and, and people might not agree with that or, or think it was just garbage. And, and there was some fear in that. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm relating to that argument. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for this week's installment of Getting to Nimble. Look for new episodes on the first and third Tuesdays of the month. You can find show notes at sarah-bariza.com. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry friends and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And send us notes about uh, how much you like it on, on the backs of $20 bills or something like that, too. Um, you know, that, that always works. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're open to, to bribery. Um, I am Bill Smoots. <laughs> and I'm Sarah Bariza. Until next time, keep it nimble, but keep it legal. 